Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. All right, joining me now, as he has done throughout the trial, Matt Harris, co-host of the podcast. The uh, you, So, hang on. You added Murdoch family murders to Impact of Influence, right? It's 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 now both? No, no it's always been there. It's always been there. Oh, okay. It, it's always been there. It's always been there. All right. All right. So, the, uh, I've, been, I've just been calling it Impact of Influence. But the uh, Murdoch family murders, I will call it the correct name now, Impact of Influence. Um, and so... Uh, closing arguments underway. So you are not in court right now, obviously, because you're on it's your just, phone. Just wrapped. Okay. So they, the the rebuttal from the state just finished. Uh, the judge has has or has not given the jury instructions at this point. Has not. He's going to do it after lunch. Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, you're in for a treat on that. That's like really, really fun to listen to. Well, Dick Harpootlian uh, said, uh, or stand there, said it to me. I guess there's a couple of us standing there. Said he thinks uh, 40 minutes. Yeah. Oh, it's the but driest. Some, some people expected hours. Yeah, it, it, it depends on how the judge does it, and uh, it, it is the driest stuff you will <laughs> ever hear. Uh, and that, and I, and that's like, yes, compared to all of the cell phone data and all that stuff too. So yeah, I'm not going back in for that. <laughs> okay, so the uh, uh, so the state laid out uh, in its closing arguments that. Alec is a prosecutor trying to manufacture his alibi to compress the timeline, and he knows what to do, how to do it to try to prevent evidence from being gathered and to confuse and to frustrate the investigation. The defense says the theory of the case that uh, the the uh, the state has presented, I think they use the word insane uh, and illogical to describe it. Um, how do you think the arguments, I mean, could you get a read on any of the jurors? Well, you know, it is hard to to read, George. You, you, I. The general consensus from everybody is that uh, the one that kicked off might have been their only hope, <laughs> but I don't know if that's you know you're just trying to guess body language and stuff. But they, there was about three, I would say, had no interest in whatever Jim Griffin had to say. Like really? arms crossed, head down, no eye contact. Three or four definitely just didn't give a crap. Um, one person. I noted one of the jurors when at the end we got a little emotional. Um, she kind of gave her an eye roll, like "Yeah, all right, whatever," which could mean she's just tired of this crap or that she didn't buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a tough read, but uh, there's definitely not one that you say that person loved that closing. Right. Okay. So the, and and I don't read anything into that. I I only ask just because if something if there was some sort of a reaction that was noticeable that might be indicative of something. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so if there isn't, we're in the same position we were. Might as well shake the eight ball like one of my listeners has been doing to try to guess the outcome here. Um, so what do you think the defense did well in their closing arguments that? Uh, that may have punched a hole in uh, in the state's case. I have a couple ideas, but what do you think? I, I, on the close of the rebuttal, because the close was... The close for the defense. What did they yeah. do well? Well, um, and you're talking about Creighton Waters did it, not what they did today, right? No, no, Jim Griffin. Jim Griffin's close. Oh, the defense, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you exactly what the defense did well. Um, they reset the timeline if people will pay attention to it, mm-hmm. which I knew they would try to do, because they're saying those steps... They keep telling you those steps are because 
Alec has the phone. Well, his phone's not there, blah, blah, blah. So the time, the time that they're saying killed, he killed them isn't even the right time. Uh, and so that helps with give Alec a little more time. And, but again, they said, like, how could he clean up? How could he do that in 16 minutes? How could he? And then, of course, what I knew they would do also is hammer home how much he loved them, how much he loved them. And he was, his back was not against the wall financially. And when it was against the wall, he opted to kill himself, not, you know, have somebody kill him. But so it was all about their main points were sled did, missed a lot of uh, evidence that could have cleared Alex. Alex was cooperative, except for the lie. Uh, the whole time, kept saying, get my, get my uh, information from, and they'll tell you exactly where I was and when. Um, and the sled was missing tire tracks. Uh, there was no fingertip, uh, fingerprint uh, test. There was no DNA test on Maggie or Paul's clothes. They just knew it was Alex, and they were gunning for Alex, and that was that. I th- and, uh, right. That was good. Yeah, I agree. I think that there, uh, the the focus on the roadside shooting where Alec tried to have his drug dealer murder him uh, unsuccessfully, even though he lied about it immediately afterwards, I thought making the argument like they did that that was the natural response when everything was closing in on him and it was all collapsing, he opted to try to kill himself, not like another family member or something. He and he said that that is the that would be the more natural response versus murdering the wife and and the the son. And they basically mocked this theory that uh, first off, right when your phone stops moving, that means you're dead. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I thought he made a good point there. That's it doesn't prove that they're dead. It just proves that they didn't look at their phone again after that time. It could have happened anytime after that. Um, right. and the window, which was nice. Right. And then the other part, uh, they, they raised, I thought a, a good point about, um, the throwing the, the phone out the window that they couldn't actually identify when that happened because sled had not secured the phone in a Faraday bag in order to prevent it from pinging, uh, for the next like three days. And they didn't extract the data for too long. And they just, and they missed their window. Uh, and, and, and Alec, and they're saying, Alec kept telling you, Check this. Check it. Check it. And if he didn't want you to find the phone, he wouldn't have been saying check it. Plus, he had the, the ability. He knew her passcode. There's like so he could have got in there and pretend that he was answering the text or answered the phone call or done anything. Right. Also, and, I thought they did a good job, and they went. You, you mentioned that they went right at Sled and uh, flat out accused them of manufacturing evidence. And the one yeah. uh, with the blood, the high velocity blood spatter on the T-shirt, which they said. The sled agent testified to the grand jury in Colleton County in order to get the indictments that they had high velocity blood spatter on that shirt. But they did not. They did not have that. And uh, they said, like, that's manufacturing of evidence. Uh, They talked about lying to Alec about the loads in the shotgun, uh, that that was the case in all of the weapons. All the shotguns had the same, you know, birdshot followed by or buckshot followed by birdshot. And that Mm -hmm. wasn't the case. So they lied about that as well. Right, they li- and, and uh, they, that was um, one of the things they said was a good, pretty good line from him. Was he said uh, they went from Mister Bloody Shirt to Mister Clean? Right, uh, <laughs> when it didn't work out for him. And I, we, uh, you know, he and I have been saying it for a while. Pick a lane there, uh, Sledge. Was it was it the clothes he was wearing or not wearing? They never really. They kind of went back and forth on that. And so and then Griffin also says, "So you're telling me he shoots them both? Uh, he takes all his clothes off, hoses himself down." gets butt naked and drives back to the house, right? Uh, he goes through that. He also talks about how they lied about the raincoat tarp, according to Griffin. They're like, you know, 
it was not there. The other the other caretaker didn't see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found one in the back, you know, and eventually they found one that wasn't a tarp, and they told all the family members. Nobody recognized it, and yet they told, and they told John Marvin they found it in the yard. It was actually in the closet. Uh, they lied about four guns uh, being that could have been the or that were uh, loaded in a certain way, like the ones that killed Paul. That didn't exist, but they kept telling people that was exist. So they're kind of saying that they just kept lying and lying. They talked about how when he was on the stand, he said, I forget what the word he used. I'm allowed to use trickery or something like that mm-hmm. to, uh, right. when I'm talking to people. Um, so that, that, that was you know, their main point. Right. They're uh, saying they, that. yeah, it's so like two prongs, right? One is uh, investigative incompetence or corruption. And then the other uh, line, the other prong is um, that the investigators focused on Alec Murdoch from the very beginning and they never, uh, they never went to try and find anybody else. They pointed to the press release that went out the next day that said, don't yeah. worry, community, everybody is safe. There's no danger to you. And so that's proof that they focused on Alec alone and uh, they did not uh, consider other suspects, and that that yeah. clouded their their investigation. Yeah. So, what do you think? Yeah. This uh, what did the state do well? What did Creighton Waters do well? Um, I thought Creighton was his. I thought his close was tedious. Um, I granted maybe he's making sure he has everything covered, but uh, you know I wasn't in for that one. I was for the uh, when they did the rebuttal today, but mm-hmm. the, there was it was it was over three hours long, four hours if you take away the breaks and everything. Um, and I think he, you know, his, I don't know if you saw the PowerPoint presentation, Yeah. but a, a, a five-year-old could have done a better job. It was, I don't even know what was going on there. Right. Well, um, and we said from the very beginning, our discussions about this case, we said, we thought it was going to come down to that timeline. And I was, I was hoping that they would do a better job of compiling it all into a digestible format. And I don't think they did that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, even the, the, you know, the PowerPoint they used is, you know, block letter, like there was no pizzazz, there was nothing to it on you know, the definition of murder and all those other things. And a lot of times he, uh, when he was talking, the PowerPoint presentation's up, and you don't want to have on the PowerPoint presentation exactly what you're saying. You want bullet points on there, but they're mm. not going to pay attention to you. You know, that, that's the basic. And, it, and so it was really dry. He went too deep into the money again. I think, uh, you know, they get it, right? They get it. He steals money. He's stolen a lot of money. He's great. And so I thought it was just way too long, a good end to it. But I guess the point, I, I mean, they, again, I'm not sure they painted the picture he was up against the wall is because, I'll tell you, but the reason I don't think so is because it took too long to explain why he was up against the wall. If you're up against the wall, that should take two minutes. Right, and he brought, it, he brought into, uh, into the close this family annihilator uh, argument, which he asked Alec Murdoch if, you know, are you a family annihilator? But they never presented anybody like a psychiatrist, psychologist, no. whatever. They never no. brought somebody up there to explain what is a family annihilator. Now, I've covered it on the show, and you could try to make an argument that Alec Murdoch fits the fits that profile, but they didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't have they didn't somebody to give the jury that information. Yeah, they just mentioned it. That's it. They just yeah. put it out there. Um, and that's like almost like they were reading social media or something. Yeah. That's all someone mentioned it. And so toss it in there. Last question. Think, you know, yeah, last question I got for you. Um, yeah. Did you get any of the eggs? Any of the dozen eggs? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're referring to the juror who was included this morning. Um, they say, which I've never, I don't know how it's normally done. Probably this is it. I guess I've never seen it before. But she comes out in front of the full gallery yeah. and the judge and everybody. Stands there and he tells her, you know, she's booted or whatever, which I think is like shame. Right. Even though he's like, you're nice and everything. 
And he goes, what do you have in the back? And she's like, I got a dozen eggs and a purse and water. Um, yeah, I it was maybe that she had the egg to see if they would actually hatch by the time this thing ended. Oh, very nicely done. <laughs> there you go. Matt Harris, he is the co-host of the podcast. It's called the uh, Murdoch Family Murders. Impact of Influence. You can get it on your favorite podcasting platform. You can also listen to him on our sister station, 1079, the uh, uh, Mix 1079. Oh, yeah, there you go. Matt Ramona Show. Uh, Matt, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Dra- uh, travel safe. All right, bud. Appreciate it. Matt Harris, everybody. Um, all righty. So back to the uh, the closing arguments here. And I will get to the defense side. I'll leave you with the defense side. And I did not get the rebuttal portion because I've been on the air. Um, but the prosecutors say, look, this guy, Alec Murdoch, is a prosecutor, former prosecutor. He's a lawyer. He's manufacturing his alibi with all of these phone calls, um, these really like mundane conversations, uh, superficial conversations. He's making these rapid phone calls while he's driving in the car and he's trying to compress the timeline and he's trying to do all of this to frustrate the investigation that will occur. They then played the videos of his interviews, portions of the videos of his interviews with SLED, where he lied about being at the kennels at 845, Um, And while they're playing it, they tell the jury, he tells the jury, look at what Alec is doing with this head bobbing motion. And he says, that's his tell. You know, he's lying and look at his head doing this head bobbing thing, which I thought was pretty smart because then Alec has been doing that the entire trial when he's crying, when he was testifying, he's just, he's constantly nodding his head, rocking forward, back and forth, uh, uh, you know, from his shoulders. And... If the jurors say, well, if any time he's doing that, that's his tell, that means they could discount like everything. Um, They also noted that he uh, never said when he changed clothes, never, never has come up with an explanation for that. Um, He was not worried about his own safety afterwards, he said. He wasn't concerned about any threats to his other son. Um, And until he admitted that he was at the kennels in the testimony on the stand last week on Thursday, His own brother had not heard it. His own lawyer was even telling HBO on their documentary about all of this that he was napping. He wasn't at the kennels. So he apparently was lying to his lawyers about it as well. Um, Then what? Uh, Oh, um, he said, people lie. The prosecutor, Creighton Waters, said, why do people lie? Well, people lie because they know they did something wrong. You heard him answer the questions about whether or not he killed his wife and son. You heard me ask him if he was a family annihilator. When he answers those questions, did you see him do this? Did you see him do that on those videos too when asked questions where well, now we know he was lying? Is that the most classic tell ever? I'll leave that to you to decide. One thing I will agree with him that he said up there Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. How appropriate coming from that man. He says, nobody knew who this guy was. That's how skilled of a liar he is. He'd avoided accountability his whole life. He had relied on his family name. He had a powerful family. He carried a badge and used that authority. He lived a wealthy life. But now finally, he was facing complete ruin. His father, who he idolized, who I worked with, on occasion, was dying. His son was facing charges for the boat case. He was facing a civil action that not only could potentially ruin him, but expose the reality of what he'd been done doing for years. He had an opiate addiction. 
The entire illusion of his life was about to be altered. He couldn't live for that. He's the kind of person for which shame is an extraordinary provocation. Shame is an extraordinary provocation. His ego couldn't stand that, and he became a family annihilator. He went on to say that we couldn't bring you any witnesses to the murder because he killed them. And one man controlled the crime scene. But there were some things that he could not control and that the state had brought them forward to the jury. And he urged the jury not to believe Alec Murdoch's lies. This defendant, on the other hand, has fooled everyone, everyone, everyone who thought they were close to him, everyone who thought they knew he was who he was. He's fooled them all. And he fooled Maggie and Paul, too. And they paid for it with their lives. Don't let him fool you, too. I, I, I got to say, that's a pretty compelling argument, because even regardless of facts and evidence and all that, you know, people don't like to believe that they're being tricked. Right? It's just, and so if you tell him, like, he's trying to fool you, he's trying to trick you, and he tricked Literally everybody else in his life. Well, except maybe Cousin Eddie. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. American made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear. Old Grouch's on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. Jim Griffin is the attorney, one of the attorneys for Alec Murdoch. He delivered the closing, the summation, the closing argument. And uh, he says that he started off by saying that the investigators, when they arrived, they had Alec Murdoch in their sights from the very beginning. They had him in the circle, they said. And uh, they could they could never get him out and they couldn't get him out because they wouldn't focus on anybody other than Alec Murdoch. On June 7th, 2021, Alec Murdoch called 911 and Officer Deputy Green and then followed by other deputies rolled up on the scene and he is standing on his property, his wife and son lie dead in a pool of blood each he's within yards of him and he and just put a shotgun down he just put a shotgun down and what would that look like 90 out of 100 cases when an officer rolls up it would look like person who had the shotgun and two dead bodies may have done it, probably have done it, certainly is someone who should be strongly considered. And all the officers in this case told you that. Deputy Rutland said, yeah, Alec Murdoch was a suspect, but there are a lot of suspects out there. Um, everybody was a suspect, fair enough. Agent Owen says, well, you know, we have a circle, investigative circle, and, and it starts with immediate family members, particularly if they found the, the deceased, the victims. So he's in the circle by virtue of calling 911. And that's fair enough. But 
What doesn't strike us as, as fair is that the next morning on June the 8th, after the gruesome murders of Maggie and Paul, this is what is issued a joint press release, Collin County and SLED, that says, at this time, there's no danger to the public. At this time, there's no danger to the public. You have two people who have been executed within, y'all are out there, I don't know, is it 100 yards, 200 yards from Moselle Road? They've been slaughtered. And at this time, there's no danger to the public. Does that tell you that on June 8th, law enforcement had decided it had to be Ellen murdered? It's a fair question for you to ask yourselves. It's a question that's not been fairly answered in this trial. But we know from June 7th to June 8th, Alec is a suspect and he's in the circle. And from that day forward, he is at the mercy. He is at the mercy of the ability of SLED to exclude him from that circle. They have the ability to do the forensic work, they have the ability to interview witnesses, and they have the ability to gather electronic data. So the second prong of the defense, right, aside from the uh, this argument that they focused on him exclusively, the second prong is to allege investigative incompetence. We believe that we've shown conclusively that SLED failed miserably in investigating this case. And had they done a competent job, that Alec would have been excluded from that circle year ago, two years ago, but he would have been excluded. What, what did you hear from the witness stand? You heard from Chief Barry McCroy. I didn't know Chief McCroy until I got involved in this case. Um, but his reputation is, is outstanding, and he's consummate professional. And, and he explained that when he got there, he was concerned that, that cars would be pulling up and there were some tire tracks that, that were not being protected, and that they could have evidentiary value. And then, um, and then you heard from Mark Ball, who had a conversation with Chief, I mean, excuse me, um, Sheriff Hill, who's another fine public servant here. And, and, he, and he also agreed, we've got to stop cars from coming in here to preserve these tire impressions. And it was not done. It was not done. Uh, Captain Chapman from the Collin County Sheriff's Office, he testified about seeing other sets of uh, tire tracks. Um, as you had came in off Moselle Road, you probably saw where Deputy Green's vehicle had stopped right at the kennels, but then on the other side, where you saw that Alec was, was parked and pacing on some of these videos, that's where, um, that's where Captain Chapman had talked about seeing tire tracks, and he tried to track them. Slab was coming on, and then it's like, it, it was like a trail to nowhere. It was a trail to nowhere. Uh, Deputy Rutland talked about seeing hair 
hair in Maggie's hands, you'll recall. You didn't hear anything about the hair in Maggie's hands from that moment forward. Was it tested? Was it sent off for analysis? There was no evidence of what, if anything, happened to the hair in Maggie's hands. Was it as a result of a, of a struggle with her assailant? Was it, was it her own hair? I mean, we don't know the answer to that. We know they failed to take fingerprints from the feed room, and they should have. They failed to properly take footwear impressions from the feed room, or at the apron right outside the feed room. And I think that's, that's I mean, I don't think that's uncontradicted. The um, Agent Worley, who, um, doing the best she can, um, did not go there to document footwear impressions. Did not do that. Right. So incompetence, but also corruption. They, he, uh, he says they manufactured evidence. They went to the Colleton County Grand Jury with, a, uh, with an agent who said that they had blood, high-velocity blood spatter on a T-shirt when they did not. He had not opened his email that said, oh, yeah, that test came back negative. He, he never opened the email before he went to the grand jury. He also said that the defense team has been baffled that SLED never took DNA samples off of Maggie or Paul's clothing. And we asked their investigators, why didn't you? Well, that's somebody else's job. That's somebody else's job. It was never done. But you know who the, who's, whose clothing they, they took DNA off of extensively? Alec. Well, yes. And, and you, you heard... Um, Agent Zapata talked about all the different uh, grids on her shirt where DNA was, was samples were taken. Was Ellick assaulted on June the 7th? No, he wasn't assaulted. Was Ellick wrestling with the assailant on June the 7th? There's no evidence of that. So why are they taking DNA evidence off Ellick's clothing in June of 2021? Oh, I know. Only one reason. Yeah, I know. And it goes back to this right here. There was only one reason. Only one reason. He was a suspect. Is that they had decided that unless we find somebody else, it's going to be Alec. Unless we find somebody else, it's going to be Alec. Right. Well, he was in the circle. I mean, it's, you, yeah, you showed up on the scene and. You're the family, and you're the last ones to see them alive. And, yeah, so they're going to run. I mean, I, I agree. They should have DNA tested the other clothing of the victims. Absolutely. Not just his. But I think, yeah, I think this, this has not been a banner investigation for SLED. I'll just say that. All right, so the closing arguments. All right, so not exactly a banner investigation for SLED. Made a lot of mistakes. Uh, Jim Griffin, the defense attorney, uh, also talks about how they they cannot clear Alex because uh, Maggie's phone was not secured properly by investigators. Maggie's phone was found on the side of the road uh, in the morning um, or early afternoon on June the 8th. Whoever killed her threw that phone on the side of the road, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, Alex, from the get-go, has said, you get Maggie's phone... You get my phone, or you get my OnStar data, and 
you will not see my car traveling down the road with Maggie's phone because it did not happen. It could not happen. Thank you, Owen. Have you gotten it yet? No, no, we've not. We we sent the black box from on the uh, on the Chevy to the, to the FBI. It was a new model. Turns out the data is encrypted, and so we haven't got it yet. Well, what about General Motors? I mean, I'll, I'll do what I have to do, whatever I can do. And um, so, well, you know, we're looking into it. We're looking into it. Well, what we learned during this trial is, sure, SLED sent a subpoena via fax machine to somebody in Detroit, I believe, and whoever got it in Detroit, whether there was a number off, I, I have no idea what the reason was, but we do know the initial response was, we don't have anything. We, we don't have any OnStar data that you're looking for. There's no, there's no indication that SLED followed up with a phone call. There's no indication SLED followed up with a letter. There's no indication SLED did anything other than put it in a file. Put the response in a file. And that was it. That was it, ladies and gentlemen, until somebody watching this trial somewhere contacted somebody at General Motors and said, why don't you guys cooperate with the FBI and SLED on this investigation? What are you talking about? <coughs> so Friday, you know, during the, sometime the last six weeks, lo and behold, here comes all the OnStar data that you got to see. <clears throat> and that would be great. That would be great. But for the fact that when they seized Maggie's phone, it had, um, they put it in airplane mode. They knew how to put it in airplane mode. They put it in airplane mode, but what you'll see, I got a photograph, is the location services were still on, meaning still pinging off GPS satellites. And, and the, the phones don't hold that much memory. They hold a lot of data, as we have learned, but they don't hold that much memory. And it writes over itself. And for, for GPS location services, the, the, the ping points that we see from Paul's phone on, on all that data, that would have been on Maggie's phone for the seventh, but for the fact that it wasn't um, it wasn't extracted until sometime in like June 16th. I think that's the date, but but if I'm wrong, I apologize. But it's around the middle of June, and that ping information that we see on Paul's phone from Maggie's phone it goes back to like June the ninth. Well, a lot of good that does. A lot of good that does. We don't have it. We would have had it had had they extracted it earlier. And the agent Dov says we didn't have an updated, upgraded software that would would read it. it. Took us a while to get it. I don't know why it took them a while to get it. There's really no explanation about that. But you heard about Faraday bags. Put it in the Faraday bag so it's not pinging against satellites, not overriding. They didn't do that, and it's lost. Had they done it, I hope we wouldn't be here. I hope, because I know it would say, because we have enough evidence in the record, and we have to go around our elbow to get to our thumb to get there, but there is sufficient evidence in the record that shows Alec Murdoch was not driving down the road, Moselle Road, with Maggie's phone in the car, and tossed it 
at whatever time. When he, he went by at 9.08. I don't know what time they, they think it's tossed. But that would have gotten him out of the circle. I would hope. All right. I have an explanation. That I'm, I'm not. All right. You got her phone plus Alex's phone, and you track it with the OnStar, and Alex is like, it'll show that we're not together. And he kept asking for this. If Alec did it, and he's asking them to track this stuff together to clear him, is it possible that he actually rode the golf cart over there, tossed it, and then rode back? Because it wasn't very far. It was a couple hundred yards away. Um, Griffin also said the reason why Alec lied is because addicts lie. I thought that was a good explanation for it. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I automatically believe it, but... Yeah, addicts lie. You know what addicts also do? They behave erratically, and they make crazy decisions and hurt people. So I'm not sure that. Anyway, um, they never, the defense said that the the state never explained how you butcher somebody, your wife, and let alone two people, and your son, in mere minutes without any evidence left behind. They didn't explain that, and they didn't explain how you go from financial crimes to assassinating and executing your family. So, we shall see. It's going to the jury. Don't break anything while I'm gone.